Thanks for joining us for another amazing message from C3 Church Calgary. Our hope is that our podcast will equip and connect you to Jesus. Now prepare your hearts to receiving something new from God today. So it's my privilege this morning to introduce our speaker. His, uh, his name is Matt Brooks. Him and his wife uh, serve as the uh, young adults uh, leaders here at our church, and he also works for the Calgary Fire Department. So he will save you from a burning building, and yet the Lord will use him to set your heart on fire. <laughs> so wow. dig on that. Everyone give awesome. it up for Matt Brooks. Wow. wow. That's incredible. That's, uh, you set the bar way too high there. Oh my goodness. There are way more people here now than when we started worship. This is not what I expected, but it's great. It's good to see you all here. You look really fantastic. In the back, it's a little bit dark, but you look good too. How's everybody doing this morning? Yeah, not enough coffee maybe? I think you can do a little bit better than that. I'm one of those speakers, one of those preachers that likes excitement and energy and passion, and if I don't get some back from you, this is going to go horribly wrong this morning. So how's everybody doing this morning? Oh my goodness, this is what I've been waiting for. I'm so excited. I hope you're excited this morning. It's always a treat to, to speak, to preach, and it's always exciting because the young adult leader is preaching. What's he going to say? What's he going to do? Is he going to say something off color? Probably. I'm sorry in advance. I just bless you guys for having so much grace for me. I'm really excited to be here this morning. And um, yeah, so my name is Matt, and my incredible wife, Brittany, and I, uh, we call this place home. We've been coming here since 2010. Uh, we've been leading the young adults for about two years, uh, but we've been serving in a lot of different areas before that. And uh, we just love this house, and I'm so excited to see you all here this morning, especially in the summer, you know, when attendance is a little bit lower. It's good to see that. A lot of you showed up. It's so good. I'm really excited. Um, I just want to take a second. I know Pastor Lauren and Kelly aren't here, um, but I just want to thank Pastor Lauren Kelly and the rest of the pastoral team and everybody else that serves here for just giving me this opportunity and this honor, really, to, to stand on this stage um, and just, you know, to stand alongside other incredible pastors and preachers and stuff. It's, it's really a huge honor for me, and so I just want to thank you guys so much for believing in me and Brittany and, uh, and believing in uh, the vision that God has put on our hearts for the young adults of this church, and uh, just thank you for giving us the opportunity to serve your vision. It really is an honor. We have some incredible leaders at this church. If you're new here, I hope you'd stick around because What's going on here is exciting, and it's like God is doing a new thing. He's constantly doing a new thing, but we're really feeling this incredible surge of momentum and energy and life and passion and revival, if you want to even call it that. I don't know, but it's exciting. It's an exciting time to be in the church, and uh, I know I'm excited. I hope you get excited, too. But uh, let me just start in prayer, because I can just keep talking and talking and talking, and let's just invite God into our hearts. So, Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this morning, for this church, for this place, for this city, and for this country. God, I thank you that we, we're alive in one of the most free times, in one of the most free countries in all of history. And God, we just thank you for, for being here with us this morning, God. And I just pray that you would open our hearts, that you would open our minds, that you would help me to stay on time with the message this morning. That one's for the pastors. And uh, 
God, we just uh, welcome you into our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. So good. So what am I going to talk about this morning? I'm going to talk about uh, the title of my message, if you like titles or if you like taking notes. Um, If you take notes, you definitely go to heaven, by the way. So I always bring like a notebook and a pen and paper and I take notes. I do a lot of the same jokes every time I preach. So if you've heard them before, just humor me, like help me out. Same jokes, always. I don't ever get any new ones. But yeah, if you want to take notes, the, the title of my message would be um, Belong, Believe, and Become. And I really like this idea of belonging. I think I, I wanna, we're in this series called Story, so we're supposed to be sharing our story. And I definitely want to touch a little bit in aspects of my story. But belonging for me has been a very important, very crucial part of my life. And it's something that um, I haven't always felt like I've had, but I've definitely had it here in this church, and I've definitely had it knowing Jesus. Jesus makes us all feel like we belong, like we're part of a bigger family. Um, but I grew, up, I grew up in heaven, in paradise, in uh, Penticton, British Columbia. That is heaven on earth a little bit. If you've ever been there, you know what I'm talking about. Beaches, sand, beautiful lakes, I was born in Kamloops, but um, a couple months after I was born, my, my father, I guess he just couldn't handle being a dad or he couldn't handle being a husband or a combination of the two things, and he, he took off. Like a couple months into my life, he just took off and disappeared, and I, I never got a chance to meet him um, until I was about 26, something like that. Britt's nodding yes. She helps, she helps me remember things. But, but so I never met my real dad until I was about 26, so I, I grew up kind of fatherless. Um, but right after my dad left my mom and I, um, my grandparents came out from Penticton to Kamloops and they picked my mom and I up and they took us back to Penticton and we lived with them for like three years and my grandparents did a huge, played a huge part in raising, um, in raising me and helping my mom raise me and so it's like I had two moms and, and one dad my grandpa, and do we have a picture maybe of the three of us. Ah, uh, there they are, my grandparents. So good. My grandpa passed away a couple of, seven years ago. Man, it goes quick. It goes really quick. But, so I was fatherless, but I wasn't really, because I had an incredible, I had an incredible model for a father, even though my father kind of abandoned me and rejected me. I had an incredible model for a father. Is the next picture me and my grandpa. He was like my best bud. Like we did everything. We, you know, we had a little ride-along tractor. We'd cut the grass and I'd sit on his lap and oh, just have so many great memories of my grandpa and ah, it's tough. It's tough not having him around but he, he made me feel like I belonged, that I had a family, that I had a place. You know, when you belong, um, when you belong somewhere, it gives you the opportunity to become the person that God intended you to be. But if you don't belong anywhere, if you don't have a name, if you don't have a family, it's really hard for you to become the person that God intended you to be. God's all about families. God's all about, God is all about relationships. And it's so important that we know that we belong somewhere, that we know that we fit. And the crazy thing about fitting is we can be totally weird and totally different, totally unique in our own way, but belonging means that it doesn't matter about any of those weird things. It's just you're part of the family, right? 
You know, you don't have to be exactly like everybody else. Like, I'm totally loony, and you should see me when I'm not on stage, and it's just my wife and I, and you'd probably be like, he's leads the young adults at C3 Church. What? <laughs> totally weird, but yet I belong, right? And so if you're here this morning, I want you to know that you belong. Whether it's your first time or it's your millionth time being here, you belong. Belonging and becoming who God made you to be is a very powerful combination. It's something that's so unstoppable. And maybe you're like me when I was younger. I didn't grow up in the church. Uh, like I said, I, I started coming to C3 in 2010. But before that, I, I had no association with the church at all. In fact, the idea of organized religion to me was madness, absolute madness. And uh, it just couldn't be farther away from God. I would have said that I was maybe spiritual, and if you asked me if I believed that, that there was a God, I would have said yes, for sure, but outside of that, I had zero faith, zero interest in the church, zero interest in Jesus at all. Um, when I was really little, we've got this last picture, my mom took us to Anglican Church because it was super important that I get baptized. And uh, I remember we were there probably only for a few months, and you know, Sunday school and all that kind of stuff. Can you tell which one is me? So handsome. Uh, but apparently God had his hand all over my life from a really young age because here I am worshiping and everybody else is kind of like, eh. And, uh, okay, you can take that away. I <laughs> get rid of that. <laughs> but God kind of had his, I feel like God had his hand all over my life from a young age, but, uh, but I, I didn't know anything about the church. I had no interest in it, like I said. And, and so growing up, uh, you know, we moved away from the Okanagan when I was probably about 12, and we came to beautiful Calgary, which I hated for a long time. I fell in love with this city, but when you got to understand, when you come from a very warm and beautiful place like the Okanagan, you come to dreary Calgary, snow, winter that lasts forever, sometimes till July, you go, why, why did we do this? Why did we come here? <laughs> like, totally nuts, totally nuts. But I fell in, I fell in love with this city, and and, and went to junior high and high school here and um, just lived a totally worldly life. It was all about trying to better myself and get possessions and get a home and a car and a girlfriend and, you know, just the standard life stuff that the culture tells us that we've been raised to believe that we need to have to feel successful, to feel like we're important or that we belong. And so that was just my normal life. When, when I was about 10, before we came to Calgary, um, my mom remarried, and um, so I got a stepdad and a couple step-siblings, and uh, a couple of years ago, they, they'd been married for about 20 years, and, and divorce happened. And so, again, going through this kind of idea of becoming fatherless all over again, you know, I, I got this guy, and he was my stepdad, and I loved him, and he wasn't without fault, just like the rest of us. Um, he dealt, sh you know, he had a really strong alcohol addiction, and he wasn't the kind of happy-go-lucky sort of drunk. <laughs> Um, and it was really hard. It was, it was a pretty verbally abusive relationship between him and my mom, and so that was kind of the house that we grew up in, and, and that was kind of the model that I had, but I always had my grandpa to kind of lean back on for the, for the, the idea of a good father, and uh, so that's a little bit of my background, but in 2010, uh, I had been dating Brittany for a few months. We'd met in 2009, and uh, we'd been dating for a little while, and uh, I broke up with her. It was like right after Valentine's Day, like the day after or something <laughs> like that. Come on, don't be so hard on me. I was broken. 
I'm mixed up, remember? I, I didn't know Jesus yet, so I didn't have these common sense things worked out. I was dumb. Definitely dumb. You don't break up with somebody on Valentine's Day. There's no good time. Come on, there's no good time to break up with somebody. Anyways, I had a couple of really amazing friends, John and Brittany Burroughs, who come to this church, and uh, th- I remember them taking me out for dinner in February, and uh, just after I'd broken up with Brittany, and they said, hey, why don't you just come to church with us sometime? And I was like, oh, goodness. One of those couples. Uh, that's, that's great. And, but, uh, you know, I, I love them. And I knew Brittany since we were uh, in junior high together. So I knew known her for a long time, one of my oldest friends. And so I thought I'd humor them, you know, like, oh, okay, sure, yeah, I'll come. I'll come to church. Thanks for inviting me. Hmm. Yeah. So I came, and I came, and we weren't in this building yet. We were um, in the southwest of Calgary. And uh, I came, and I just remember instantly thinking, wow, there's something different about this place. There's something different about this group of people. And I didn't understand what it was at first, and I would later come to realize that I was, it was the presence of the Holy Spirit. It was God's presence was in this place. And, um, and not only that, the people made me feel like I belonged. And uh, I was living a completely non-Christian lifestyle. I was having sex outside of marriage and multiple partners, and like the list goes on and on and on, Right? This is totally normal if you live outside of the church, if you don't grow up in the church. I had no concept or no context for, for anything. When I was 19, I had major drug addictions, and I had a lot of problems with cocaine and ecstasy and, you know, like all that kind of stuff. So I, I lived a pretty messed up life in a lot of ways, but a pretty normal life, really. I kind of got my act together. I cleaned myself up, and, you know, I was in my mid-twenties, and I thought, hey, I got it together, I'm on the right track, and my friends bring me to church, and I have this radical encounter with God, and I give my life to Jesus, and everything changed. But the only reason I, I, thank you, yeah, some people like that, yeah, (laughs) that's fine. Uh, But the only reason I stayed is because, that I stayed here is because I felt like I belonged. And uh, so I want to talk about belonging and becoming this morning. And, um, if you have your Bibles and you want to go to heaven, same jokes. It's not, not, not really. There's just a little bit of sarcasm. But if you do have them, um, we also got the Sky Bible here to throw up some scriptures. You can just turn to John chapter 4, Gospel of John chapter 4, and uh, go down to verse 5. And this, this is the story in Jesus' ministry of him going and meeting the Samaritan woman at the well. I love this story. I've read it, obviously, so many times that I couldn't, I can't remember how many. It's just, I can't count how many. And up until just even like a week and a half, two weeks ago, I got this kind of fresh perspective from a really incredible pastor um, named Chris Valentin. And uh, it just kind of shook up the way I looked at this passage. And I just want to share that with you a little bit. So we're going to, I'll read through and then I'll stop and give some context. But it starts off in, uh, in verse 5. It says, so he came to the city of Samaria, which is called Sechar. It's Hebrew, so it's maybe it's like har. Um, who knows? Who knows? I, I'm, not, I'm not fluent in Hebrew, but it's something like that anyway. And it's near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. And it was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. 
Then the woman of Samaria said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? And you, can, you can't really read inflection or context, but you realize that she's actually kind of snubbing him a little bit, like, how is it that you ask me for a drink? You're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan. And she's kind of got this attitude and it says the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And I gotta give you a little bit of context because this is really, really important. This is actually a really crazy scene for two reasons, primarily two reasons. One, the first one is that Jesus is talking to a woman in public. And, you know, that's very normal by today's standards. But back then, in this particular time, in this particular place in history, women were really treated a lot like possessions. They were treated like dogs almost. They couldn't be seen in public without covering their head, fully covered. They couldn't talk to a man in public, uh, only in their own home or, some, or you know, their husband's home. Um, they weren't allowed to be taught the Torah, which is like the Hebrew Bible, the law. They weren't allowed to be taught the law. It was actually illegal for a woman to be taught the law. So it's not just like a taboo thing. It was like illegal. You cannot teach women the law. And actually, one of the most famous rabbis at the time said that he would rather burn the Torah, he would rather burn the Bible than read it to a woman. Woman, Women could not divorce their husbands if they were married. They had no kind of legal right or authority to do something like that. They couldn't divorce their husbands. Um, Babe, you can't divorce me, I'm just saying. I can't can't divorce you either, though, so we're just stuck together. This is so good. (laughs) I love you. So good. So good. And women couldn't testify in court because it was believed that women were inherently liars. It's, it's, cra- it's absolutely crazy and it's insane. So this is, I'm reading this not to endorse these things. I want you to understand that was what the culture was like back then. And Jesus came and he sat down beside this person and he broke all the rules. He broke all the rules. He sat down beside her and he started talking with her in public. But it's also crazy for a second reason. That second reason is that she's a Samaritan. And the Jews hated Samaritans. They hated them. Even though they had this common ancestry and this common lineage, they were kind of like cousins, they were family. But the Jews hated the Samaritans. They had no dealings with them, right? It was worse to be a Samaritan than it was to be a woman. And if you were a Samaritan woman, man, Jews did not have time for you. So Jesus was breaking all the rules. And, and you can start to see that when Jesus is talking to her, she's rejecting him right away. Why do you, a Jew, talk to me and ask me for a drink of water, a Samaritan woman, right? But Jesus totally sidesteps all that. He sidesteps that slight that she gives him. And he answers in uh, verse 10, Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? And are you greater than our father, Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself as well as his sons and his livestock? So you start to see now that, okay, Jesus sidesteps the slight, continues to speak to her, and then the walls start to come down, and she starts to relate to Jesus by saying, are you greater than our father? 
So she recognizes that they do have this common ancestry, this common heritage, and now she starts to relate to him, our father, right? And uh, in verse 13 says, Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water that I may not thirst, that I might not come here to draw. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you have said, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you have now is not your husband. In that you spoke truly. And I remember reading this in the past and thinking, this is Jesus just like calling out all of her naughty little things that she's ever done in her life. Like, you've had many husbands. (laughs) It's true. Yeah, you spoke truly. And uh, I always thought of it as almost like a statement of him trying to convict her of what she's done wrong. But I actually, I wonder if, there may be an element of that, but I wonder if it actually is not that at all. And I want to submit this kind of idea to you today. She couldn't divorce anybody. She didn't have that right as a woman. That means five of her husbands had to reject her and divorce her and cast her aside. She was coming to the well at this time of day because nobody else would come in the middle of the day. It was just too hot. You didn't come to draw water at that time of day. And so she would come by herself because she was rejected by her own community, not just the Jews, her own community in Samaria. She was rejected. So she would come to the well and draw on it when nobody else was around so that she didn't have to deal with the shame that was constantly hurled at her. She couldn't divorce anybody. She was rejected five times. And the one that she's with now won't even marry her. Can you imagine what it's like to be that woman growing up in this time when you've just been rejected and rejected and rejected and rejected and the one that you're with now, he's happy to sleep with you, but he won't marry you. You're not good enough. You're damaged. You're broken. You're damaged goods, baby. It's a pretty, it's a pretty stark scene. And, and I feel like Jesus isn't doing this to call her out, but he's doing it to get down with her. And he's like, I know. I know what you've been through. I've seen it. I know exactly what you've gone through. You've been rejected, but you know what? I'm not rejecting you. I'm still here. I'm breaking all the rules to be here to talk to you. I'm identifying with you. I'm identifying with your pain. I'm identifying with your suffering and your sadness and your brokenness, and you know what? I'm not going anywhere. I see you. And so in verse 19, it says, the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. (laughs) No doubt. (laughs) Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say that Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. So again, now she's starting to dialogue with him. He's identifying with her. They're having this great dialogue, this conversation, something that she's probably not had in a very long time. And so she starts talking to him about, like, okay, like, I perceive that you're a prophet from God, and, you know, our fathers in Samaria say that Mount Horeb, this place here, is where we should worship. Uh, But you Jews say, no, that's not where you should worship, and we know God better, and so the only place that you can worship is in Jerusalem, but Samaritans are not allowed to go there. And so she's having this conversation with him, and Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither worship on this mountain nor in in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. 
But the hour is coming, and now is here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. And the woman said, I know that the Messiah is coming. Remember, they have this common ancestry, this common belief. They, they know about the Messiah. They, they understand. And so she says, I know the Messiah is coming, who is called the Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. And so again, she's just dialoguing. She's just having this conversation. She's like, you're a prophet. Oh, I believe in the Messiah too. You know, I, I know that the Messiah is coming. And Jesus says, sir, I who speak to you am he. The woman gets up and she leaves her, her water pot and she runs into the city to tell some men, to tell some people what's going on. And even that is an insane thing to think about in that time. That She's just like... <laughs> Everybody come! You gotta see this guy! And the men are probably like, what? What is she doing? She's a lunatic. But she says, come see a man who told me all the things that I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And so... It says later on that a lot of the people came to believe in Jesus that lived in this town. A whole bunch of them came to believe and have faith in Jesus that he was the Messiah. In a lot of ways, that, that city got saved just because of this woman's testimony of having a conversation with Jesus. And what was it, what was it about? It was just about Jesus making her feel like she belongs, making her feel like she's part of the family. And church, if you're here this morning, I want you to know that you belong too. Every single one of you, whether it's your first time, like I said, if you've been coming for years, you belong here. Whether you feel like you don't fit in or, or you, you feel like, I just, I'm a little bit strange, I'm a little bit weird, I'm a little quirky, you belong here. You belong here. Belonging doesn't mean that you have to fit in perfectly. You're, you might feel like a square peg trying to be jammed into a round hole. That's not, that's not the way. And I want you to know that you belong here. And that's how this church made me feel from day one. Even though I was living a totally messed up lifestyle, even though I had done so many ridiculously awful things in my life, I didn't get judged. I didn't get a finger stuck in my face and said, you've got to stop living this way, man. I didn't get any of that. Because if I had, honestly, I probably would have been like, see ya. I don't need that. I don't need you. Who are you? Like, to judge me, like, hypocrite, right? Like, I would have felt that way as a new believer, as somebody that has just come to church, right? And so, I just, rem I want to share this story with you. Um, we, uh, we'd been coming to the church for a little while, and we had these incredible people that would uh, become good friends of ours, Tyler and Emma, and uh, just the most amazing people. And they invited us to their small group, and so we would meet every two weeks, and we would hang out, and they would talk about Jesus with us, and they would answer our questions that we might have, and they would just pray for us, and we would just do life together, you know, just like hang out and get to know people. And being a part of a small group is such an incredible thing. If you're not in one, I just challenge you, and I just say, like, jump in one. Get around some people that can just love on you. And Tyler and Emma were amazing. They never judged us. They never said, you guys should stop doing that. You know, they knew Brittany and I. We, we Sorry, we, <laughs> I forgot to mention, so... We, we'd broken up for a little bit, and then I started coming to church, and I got saved, and, and then all of a sudden, Brittany and I started hanging out a little bit, and I was like, you got to come to church. I've been coming to this church, and Brittany was like, what? <laughs> You've been going to church? Is it a cult? <laughs> Did they give you magic Kool-Aid to drink? 
It was just a total, like, absolutely transformational type of thing. I don't think she said that exactly, but it was something close anyways. But then we started coming to church together. And we were, we, you know, we started dating a little while after that again. And, and uh, you know, we would fall into the old habits of sleeping together and all this kind of stuff. Because, again, it was just normal, right? And so Tyler and Emma started getting us to come out to their small group. And we just hung out together. And they never once, they never once pointed a finger and said, you got to change your life, man. You need more Jesus. You know, you need... You need to get the law into your heart. And they didn't say anything like that. It's madness. Like, we would have totally been like, forget it and get out of here. They didn't need to because we were here in this place. And I fully believe that if you're, if you're open to God speaking to you, he's going he's gonna to talk to you about those things. Like, we don't need to talk about it for him. God is fully capable of speaking to us himself. He's the God who created everything, you know? So we don't need to be the you know, like the, the pit bull that's guarding all the right and wrong things to do. You know, we don't need to do that. God's going to do that for us. We don't need to point our fingers. It's just going to reject people. It's just going to turn people away. But uh, I want you to know that if you're here, again, you belong. And I want to apologize, too. If anybody has made you feel that way, or if you feel like you have been judged, we're not perfect at all. <laughs> I am so not perfect. I don't know if you know this or not. I don't know if you've noticed that I'm just not perfect. And uh, I want you to know that you belong. Oh my gosh, I'm almost out of time. That went by really quickly. There's this verse in uh, Isaiah 58 that I want to talk about, and it's about becoming. I want to talk about it really quickly, and uh, we're going to skip down to basically this first section of Isaiah um, 58 verses 1 to 5. The Lord is talking to the prophet Isaiah and he's saying, is this the type of worship and the type of fasting that I want? That you just, he basically kind of says, the nation of Israel at this time, it's just like, you're just so prideful and you think that you're worshiping me and you think that you're loving me, but your worship is, your fasting is not, is not good. It's wrong. It's all mixed up. Um, is this the kind of fast that I have chosen? Only for a day for people to humble themselves? Just one day, is that it? And then you just continue to live your life like normal, like the rest of the world? Is that really what I want? And then in verse six, he says, is it not the kind of fasting that I have chosen to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of yoke, set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, that you clothe them and you do not turn away from your own flesh and blood. Do you catch that? God is basically saying, yeah, you fasting on one day a week, you think that's what I want from you? And, you know, it's like I felt like when I was reading this, God was saying, it's like, Matt, do you want, you think that I want you to just come to church one day a week and that's it? You know, like you, we sing a couple songs together and we kind of cheer and we clap and then we go and we just live our lives and we don't, we don't leave changed. Is that what you think that I want from you? He said, no, what I want is that you would break the, change of, the chains of bondage, that you would remove oppression and remove the yoke off of people's shoulders, burdens that people are carrying, that you would help remove that from their shoulders, that you would set the oppressed free, that you would feed the hungry, that you would provide shelter, that you would provide clothing, that you wouldn't turn away from other people when they need you. And God is saying, like, man, 
This is what life is about. It's not about trying to accumulate more things and gather more things. It's about being there to help other people. And in the last part of this chapter, he kind of talks about the result. The result of when you, when you follow me, when you're part of something, when you belong somewhere, and then you follow me, that you take action, that love actually spurs you to do something, it's going to fill you with joy. It's going to fill you with this triumphant, like, ah, I'm doing something with my life. I, I know that, like, for me, for a long time, I tried to fill up my life with a lot of different things, and it would maybe make me happy for a little while, but then it would kind of always go away, and then I'd get miserable and cranky and, like, ah, I'm always searching for something to give my life meaning. And every time I think I find something, whether it's a relationship, my wife, or maybe kids one day, all these things are great and they're so important, right? But they're not going to give lasting peace and lasting fulfillment. It's seeking God and it's breaking the chains of oppression. It's feeding the hungry. It's clothing the naked. It's, it's all of these things that we're, we're not here just for us. We're here for those that don't sit in those seats yet. For those that don't know Jesus yet. I want to share a couple statistics with you. And you know, like, it's, it's just impossible to do any of these things with a loving heart unless you belong somewhere first. You got to know who you are. Once you know who you are and who God is and you belong to a family and you can get into a culture of people that are fired up for making a difference, then you can become part of that change yourself. Somebody said to me, actually even just yesterday, that Calgary, and I've, I didn't look this up myself, but Calgary is one of the top five places to live in the entire world. Isn't that crazy? One of the top five, Calgary? So good, I love this city, but I was a little bit surprised. <laughs> I was a little bit surprised, and I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why, because one in, tel one in 10 Calgarians is dealing with poverty today, one in 10. One in five Calgarians are concerned about not having enough food. One in five. One in three are concerned about not having enough money for housing. And one in two, 50% of people in Calgary, are concerned that they don't have enough to retire. About 40% of the entire world is either poor or in extreme poverty with no hope of ever coming out of it. 40% of the entire world. That's just on the very bottom, the lowest poverty scale. 40% of the whole world. That's over 2.5 billion people. You know, we live in one of the richest and most prosperous nations in the world, and yet we've got poverty in our own city of what, like, you and I, most of us, have no idea what poverty is. I, I remember that, actually, my mom would my mom and I were really poor. We moved out of my grandparents' house, and my mom was super strong and independent. And uh, she didn't want to help from anybody. So she was a single mom. Grandma and grandpa would take care of me, but she would work a job, and it was minimum wage. And I remember sometimes coming home to this little, this little shack of ours, and, and uh, mom would have made dinner for us. And I didn't pick up on it right away because I was so young, but I started to realize that sometimes mom wouldn't eat with me. We'd sit down to the dinner table and she would eat. Or sorry, <laughs> I would eat, but she wouldn't. Yeah, she starved a child. No. No. She she would only have enough maybe that 
I would eat that night. And so she would go without. And I only started remembering this recently, like, holy cow, we were super, super poor. And my mom is a legend. Any, uh, anybody else in here that are single moms, you are a legend. Man, my mom fought some crazy battles. She dealt with some crazy, crazy battles. And we came out of it, right? Like, I, I live an incredibly blessed life. I have, we have so much more than we need. It's actually a little bit ridiculous. And I start feeling these convictions of like, I'm in this incredible place and I know Jesus and I'm saved and I'm, I got this incredible job. I'm a firefighter and I'm helping people and all this kind of stuff. But one in 10 people are worried about eating in Calgary. And I'm, I'm just moved. I'm just moved with compassion. I, I cannot believe that this is happening, right? And I know there are a lot of factors and there are a lot of reasons why, but who are we to judge who are we to judge? We don't know anything of the struggles that some of these people, we don't even know anybody probably that's going through something like this. How can we possibly judge when God has just called us to go and love them, to go be at the well, to go sit at the well and have a conversation with somebody? And so we're moving into this season as a young adults community where we've been building an incredible community for the last couple of years. And like, we love you. And you know what? We're going to continue to build community but it's time that we start looking outside of the walls of our church and start being part of a change and part of a difference in the city because, and it sounds cliche, but we're here to make a difference. We're here to change lives. We're here to share the gospel. We're here to share Jesus. We're here to share Jesus' love. Why don't you just stand with me right now? I wanna pray for three groups of people just as we, we start bringing the service to a close. We've got three minutes. We can do it. I want to pray for three groups of people. If, uh, if you don't know Jesus, or if you've never given your life to Jesus like I talked about back in 2010 when I gave my life to Jesus for the first time, I want to give you that opportunity. Um, I want you to know that, um, that you're welcome here, that you don't have to believe like we believe. Uh, to belong. You, you belong. And the, the believing, that kind of stuff, it works itself out. But if, if you've never met Jesus, you've never had a personal encounter with Jesus, you've never given your life to Jesus, I want to pray for you. The second group of people is the group that maybe has, that knows God, but has totally walked away from God, from, from living a life with His purposes, with His mission for this city. If you've walked away from Jesus or, you know, not in a, in a rebellious way or maybe a rebellious way, but just in a way where you're just kind of like you're doing your own thing and you feel something stirring in your heart this morning, I want to pray for you and I want to welcome you back to the family. And the last group of people, just from Matthew 9, uh, verse 37, it says, the harvest is truly plentiful, but the laborers are few. And I want to pray for laborers. Brittany and I, with young adults, we're going we're gonna to do our best to make an impact in this city, to make an impact in real people's lives that don't know Jesus, not because we're trying to convert them, just because we're called to love people. And if you feel that stirring up in you this morning, I want to pray for you. So with every eye closed and every head bowed, I'm just going to go through that list again. And if that is you, I want you to stick your hand up. So that first group of people with every eye closed, if you don't know Jesus and you want to give your life to him, 
and have him come and radically change everything about you, the direction that you're going. If you want to feel like you belong to a greater family, I want you to just raise your hand right now. Yeah, thank you, I see you, thank you. Is anybody else never given your life to Jesus before? You want an opportunity to just say, hey God, I love you, I want to know you. If that's you, just raise your hand really quickly, just so I can see it. Okay. And that second group as well. If you've known Jesus, or you've been part of the church, but you've kind of left for a time, and you've come back, and you're hungry for, for God in your life, I want you to just raise your hand if you want to rededicate your life to him. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I see you, thank you. Thank you. Awesome, so good, so good. Okay, so now I'm going to ask for a little step of boldness. For those that, that raised your hand, for those first two, I want you to come out of your seat, come slip on down to the front here. We've got an incredible prayer team that's going to pray for you. And so if the prayer team could just come forward. Just slip out of your seat and come down. Just talk to somebody on the prayer team, and they would love to lead you in a, just a very simple prayer. Don't be shy. I saw all your hands go up. I know who you are. Not trying to put you on the spot. I just want to give you the opportunity to have a really special moment with God. And so why don't you just, yeah, just thank you so much. Just come, slip down to the front. Give him a big hand, everybody. That's so good. You don't have to be shy. This isn't a weird thing. This is just an opportunity for you to say, God, I'm putting up my hand. I'm putting up my hand. So good. This, this team is going to pray for you. Now, every single person that felt a stirring in their heart for the lost, for the broken, for the poor, for those that are far from God, I want you to raise up your hands right now. If you feel like, yeah, I love you, Jesus, and I am part of this home and I belong, but it's time that we start taking some action to make a difference in some people's lives, I want you to raise up your hand real tall. And I know there are amazing people in this church. There are a lot of you that are already doing stuff. But the young adults and the rest of this church, we're going to go into a new season of radical change and radical faith. And so that's so good. It's so good. I want all of you to come down to the front here as well. Every single person that put up their hands, I just want to pray corporately over you this morning. And then we'll close up the service. Yeah, come on down. Come on down. So good. So good. Wow. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. So good. Yeah, just make space for everybody. It's so good. Why don't you just lift your hands to heaven? It's just a sign of surrender. That's all that is. It's nothing weird. It's nothing strange. It's just a sign of surrender, saying, God, I'm surrendering my life. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this morning, and I thank you for a church that makes people feel like they belong long before they have to believe or behave a certain way, God. And I thank you that this church is becoming something more and more incredible all the time, God. It's becoming the church that you designed, the church that you had in mind, Father God. And I just thank you for the hearts of incredible people, God, that have a heart for for change, that have a heart for this city, that have a heart for the broken, that have a heart for the lost, Lord God. And I just pray, God, that you would just ignite an even greater passion for this city, that you would ignite an, an even greater calling, that you would pour your oil of anointing all over this church, that you would give us ideas, that you would give us real things that we could do to make a change in this place. 
Father God, I pray that every single person that's come forward, God, that you would just light a fire in their bellies, light a fire in their hearts for this city, God, that they would be so spurred by Jesus' love that they wouldn't have any choice but to take some action and make a change. So, Father God, I pray that your hand would just be all over each one of these incredible people's lives and that we would see a tidal wave of your love, Jesus, just crash over this city, that people wouldn't have any choice but to stand up and take notice because of your great love, because of the love that we carry with us into our city. So, Father God, I pray that, that Spirit, you wouldn't stop stirring in our hearts, that you would continue to talk to every single one of us over the next week, two weeks, month, and that you would give us some steps that we could follow through on. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Why don't you give Jesus a big hand? I want to thank you so much for being here this morning, for putting up with me going over time by a couple of minutes. I love you guys so much. I want you to be blessed. You're released. Through those doors walked people of passion, ready to make people feel like they belong. In Jesus' name, you're released. Go ahead and change your world. about what's going on, please check out our website at myc3church.ca. Now go change your world.